Hello and welcome. You're listening to Adventures in the Veil, an RPG discussion podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Ross. Sit back and relax by the fire, for there are tales to be told. Have that right out. Hello and welcome again to the Adventures in the Vale Tavern cast. My name is Ross McClure, and here at the Tavern we talk about folk tabletop role-playing games. Today I'm joined with Daniel from Bandits Keep. Bandits Keep's a YouTube channel primarily about advice for old-school renaissance and classical role-playing games, but it also has a lot of actual plays where you can see real people play a folk RPG in a non-performative way and actually see how it's really done. And there's a lot of advice that's useful and, and in my opinion, transferable to role-playing games in general. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Daniel. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks. I am happy to be here. Uh, yeah, so that was a very nice intro. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know if you know this, but I actually moved my actual place to another channel, too. So you have a lot of old ones there, but I have a new channel. But I've most been running solo over there. Which I think is another aspect, I don't know if you want to talk about it, that some of these older games give us that I think is harder to do in a more kind of narrative-focused game, like a more modern game. The older games are so procedural that they're great for playing solo. So you can really get your D&D effects like on your own or test things or that kind of stuff. So I've been doing a lot of that the last year or so. But uh, it's funny because uh, I started my channel, because it's funny just that you mentioned that stuff. I haven't put actual puzzles in there in a little bit, but that's what it was. A bunch of us were playing on Google+. Plus ah. And... You, you could just record or, uh, yeah, Google Meets or whatever it was called. And at the time, you could just press go to YouTube and wow. it would just go. So, like, everybody was a YouTube channel. Like, we all had a YouTube channel, you know. They got, like, three views and people were just playing. It was like, oh, I missed the game last Thursday. Oh, watch it over here. And that's really why why I started a YouTube channel, just so that almost like a document of us playing. Not so much as a, as you said, not a performative thing, but just us playing and knowing what was going on, so if you missed a session or whatever. Yeah, that's uh, so our our actual play channel. It's it's exactly like that, where uh, it's just a joy. And some mm-hmm. of uh, that's for us. It was a very easily accessible thing that you could do between friends as well. So that some friends would be they will get to watch our game. Maybe it, the schedule doesn't line up, and yeah. like there's a friend that uh, you know he was in a Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign. And then we started a different campaign, and now he can't do that day, and he gets to kind of sit in with us. And um, it's just like a network of friends and people that watch games together, you know, each other's games and chat about it. So, yeah, uh, that that's awesome. And then yeah. at some point, uh, so I looked back through your catalog, and um, it looked like those actual plays, like what you're talking about, looks like that goes back around 2018 or so. Um and then a couple years later, halfway through 2020, 2021, sometime around there, uh, you, you've, got a t- you've got a video titled Learning to Play D&D the Old School Way. And then you started doing videos where, you, you know, uh, you, you did, it was real punchy, like 10, 30-minute set of time. You do a topic, The BX Thief, How Doors Work, Wondering Monsters, like, like a, you know, 
and uh, and you started these different videos. Why? Uh, what was the? Um, what did you see going on at the time where you're like, I I, I want to talk about what how this works in BX, and you had the basic set up, and you're like, hey, look, this is how a reaction roll works. Um, like what what was going on at the time? So uh, I'll just roll back a little bit, just kind of give you a little history on it. So I I had played when I was a kid. Uh, in 1981, and when I was, you know, eight or nine, nine years old, I guess I was, and we went BX, then we went Dungeons, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, AD&D, and then I played, and I kind of faded away in high school, and then I, I never thought about Dungeons and Dragons again. It kind of just went away, and around 2016 or so, I was at a place working with some guys, and one of the one of them said, "Hey, you want to play Dungeons and Dragons?" And literally, my reaction was, "They still have that game." Like I thought it was just something that existed wow. when I was a kid. And we went back in playing 5th edition. And it was funny because I was supposed to play as a player in a campaign. And the guy, we did like a session zero. And then the guy that got us all together just decided, ah, I don't feel like playing. And then we had a whole group of friends together. And I was like, I mean, I played when I was a kid. I'm sure I could run the game. And I just picked, a, I, it was funny, I went on Amazon. And the player's handbook was out of stock. So we all had our characters that we had made. And I ordered the Dungeon wow. Master's Guide. And I just went online and found like a little quick adventure that was available for free somewhere where you went and fought some kobolds or something. And I just sat down and ran the game. And what I realized was that the game itself, because I knew how to play, because I had learned when I was a kid, it was the same game, really. I mean, yes, it's different. And I know there's aspects of it that are much different, but it, we were able to play. And then I became a fifth edition Dungeon Master for, I don't know, probably, I played my, my campaign was like three and a half, four years. And I, I started, as I started doing that, I started watching YouTube videos and I saw a lot of people kind of making bold comments about the older system, saying that they were unplayable, that people couldn't understand them, and that how did anybody ever play D&D? Nothing made sense. They were broken. And I thought, well, I didn't, I don't remember that. Is that true? You know? So I kind of dug into it like, a, like an archaeologist. Like, I wanted to read some of the old books again. And I, I ordered the basic books. That's what I started with. And I read it, and I was like, this book is exactly how I play Dungeons & Dragons. It's like my idea of playing D&D is this book because i think it's such a great vehicle to learn so at some point i was just i i said you know what i'm gonna just make a video and see if people are interested in like learning this way and to see how it actually is very playable and how this does make sense when you you look at it so i made that first video and people seemed to like it so i just kind of i kept that for probably the first i don't know dozen or so videos i kept and i still do uh i referring back to that same original book because i think that no matter who you are if you read that basic book you will know how to play D&D. Like the two examples of play tell you how to play. And and they walk through the mechanics. They even show like the DM making a call. It's really interesting. And if you read between the lines, it's so powerful and yet so simple. And I feel like that's something that we don't get. I think, I mean, it may have come out before or after that, but like I, I often, I don't want to say I criticize, but OSE is the thing that often comes up, which is very popular and beautiful. And I give take nothing against OSE, it's amazing. But OSE is not a great vehicle to learn how to play D&D, in my opinion. It doesn't teach you how to play. It is the rules, right? It's a beautiful uh, presentation of it. Whereas the basic set teaches you how to play. And I think that a lot of people jumping into games didn't have, you know, they read the old school primer, which is kind of vague. It's like rulings over rules. But that still doesn't really teach you how to play. So that's kind of what I started doing. I thought, let me kind of put this out there for people that want to play these old systems and don't want to look at it and go, what the heck does this even mean, you know? And that's kind of where it, that was long, long answer, but that's basically where I got started. I just, I was passionate about it and I love that box set. It's, it's just such a good, good yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. Well, thank God that happened. It's so interesting um, because 
Um, I mean, some other things just from my perspective about those kind of teaching videos about the old school, that those hit right when I was trying to learn. I start, I tried Five Torches Deep and Nave that was the very first one I ever tried. And then I, I used Old School Essentials uh, for years. Um, and, um, you know, uh, the, 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 those videos... Uh, they, they were like 10, 20, 30,000 views. You Google, uh, how do I do BX? Like your videos will show up. So those are, uh, and um, I, I think they're really useful because uh, you have this very calm demeanor. The videos are very inviting. And the other thing is that they're very simple and direct. Like uh, you're like, look, in the basic set, when you encounter a monster, all right, you've encountered a monster. You're going to roll two. It, it's very simple. Um, it, it was a good pairing with like Quisting Beast videos because he's also very direct and very simple and, and it's very inviting. And I know people that don't even use old school games that use some of your advice or they'll actually be able to peel off uh, morale checks uh, because they're like, why do I not have morale checks? Yeah, like, you know, it's like I, I and some people just intuited like I need some sort of mechanism like this uh, and they just peel that off and they use that in modern games now you know so but they were uh, essential for me yeah. at the time uh, because um, it was something that m all of those concepts were so alien like the way um, I, I talked to my co-host about this uh, like we, we we asked the question in a previous podcast what is a dungeon <laughs> and we I, I, we had this fun I it was fun for me anyways you talk about archaeology and I love doing that so what does original D&D say a dungeon is? What does BX say it is? What does 5th edition say it is? And what do some of these indie things like ICRPG and Shattered Ark say it is? And um, uh, I, uh, um, at, at, at the time, um, I, a lot of OSR content out there is very, how do I put this? People go real deep, which is fun. That's, <laughs> it's fun to indulge in that, but when you're trying to learn it, I mean, man, I like, like you said, old school essentials, it's funny. It says it in the front of the book. It says, this is not going to teach you how to do an RPG. <laughs> it should say, yeah, it, it points to Principia Apocrypha and, and the primer for old school gaming. And I point people to those two things, especially if they're trying to transition from how the modern game works, but it probably ought to just say, also get the basic set. And actually read it. I don't know. Yeah, I think because again, those things are, are wonderful, uh, like the the primer. But if you don't understand, like the even the examples aren't really exact, right? You need to you need to you need to dig in. I think a little bit, but not too deep. But like I think that's really the thing. Sometimes we focus like there wouldn't be a million videos on what is uh, rulings over rules if it was that clear, right? Because <laughs> I think that that's the idea. It's like those are great to give you an idea. But I think some people also use those things as weapons because that's one thing that I try not to do is I like all different kinds of games. And I don't, even though primarily I... I noticed one of your early set. actual plays was Coriolis. So, yeah, it, it, it's clear you were... Yeah, you're, yeah, you're playing different games. Yeah. yeah. And, and I love all different games and I play all different kinds of games. And I use the basic set for exactly what I said at the beginning because I thought it was a great way to learn how to play. I think if, once you know how to play like D&D... You have an idea how to play everything else. Like it's kind of it's there, right? You understand how the rhythm of it works, how you can work together, 
And I think that there are definitely things, like you say, morale checks, where I think further, like when we become more uh, advanced or skilled or whatever you want to call it, you start to maybe, you can make decisions, right? Because I think also some people see those things as restrictive when in fact I look at them as they free you, right? I don't have to always decide what's going to happen because I can use the procedure. But in no place does it say I have to use that, right? So if I know that, in fact, it says the opposite. If I know that orcs are going to attack because you're in their fortress, sure, I don't roll a result and get a 12 and they're just like, oh, be my friend. I mean, you could do that if you want to mix it up and take a risk and you want to get creative. But at the same time, you could say, these are soldiers, you're in their place, they're going to attack you. There's no reason to do it. But using the rules up front, you can start to see how they work, right? You can roll the reaction, think to yourself, what could this mean? You could use the morale, which is huge. Morale, I really, I, I was never a war gamer. And I've been, lately, the last couple of years, even though I still use BX as my baseline when I'm doing videos, I've been playing original Dungeons & Dragons, just with the, the three first books, and Chainmail, and Outdoor Survival, just like they tell you to do. And I found by using Chainmail, which is the war game, the war game that preceded Dungeons & Dragons, morale means everything. Like, you can have armies on the field with thousands of troops and it could be over in 10 moves if morale breaks right it's like very this like fight to the death thing just doesn't happen in those kind of games and by bringing that into your rpg it makes things feel so much more alive right and when the enemy breaks them around they start to run you have to decide am i going to chase those goblins or or let them go right are we going to use missile weapons like how do we handle the fact that these, these goblins are running and i didn't have to decide that as a dm like i decide these goblins are going to run i rolled and it happened I might have wanted them to stay, right? Because I was having fun fighting. But I love that the game tells me, no, they're morale broken. They're going to run. And again, I can use that as a device to keep myself excited about the game because I'm playing too, right? If I already know whatever, what's always going to happen. Like I've seen people give advice. Like I don't even give monsters hit points. I just, when I'm when the combat's done, I just let them die. And like, I think that's terrible <laughs> advice. <laughs> like, I think there's times that you should use the rules because they make more sense, right? It's more fun for me to roll and see, oh man, I just rolled that that dragon's hit points is really low. The party's probably going to beat them really fast. Yeah. Cool. You're like, that's good for them. That yeah. was the fates today. And I think we get a lot more of that when you have these games. When you start looking at more of a modern sensibility, you have, oh, just use fixed uh, hit points for all the monsters. Just use fixed damage. You know, they 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 do this. These are their reactions listed as, they, as the things go. And I think when I first got back into playing, I thought that stuff was amazing. I really did. I sat down with 5e and I was like, this is beautiful. If you have never played before, it's telling you what to do. But I think at the same time, because it's so strict, it makes people not understand how to do it themselves on some level. So that's why I strip back and I go, this is basic rules, right? And these are this, and you have to add your imagination to it. And I think that's why it's a better, when you see, like you said, people from other RPGs, people who play other RPGs rather can look at this advice. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for this idea that you could play anything you could watch my channel or listen to my podcast do whatever and say hey that's a cool thing i'll use it and believe me i take stuff from other games all the time it's one of my favorite things to do yeah so would, would it, it, so it sounds like you're saying that from your point of view the uh the basic set which is uh, uh dungeon tsr released that in 1981 right um that if uh if you have the basic set that is an ideal starting point. Even if you've even never heard of Dungeons and Dragons, it will give you fundamentals that you could use even if you just never play it again. And you go on and you play, I don't know, um, 
I mean, fifth edition, but you know, I don't know the the new games coming out, like Tales of the Valiant. If you if you play that, if you start with the basic set, it will give you a lot of fundamental understanding about dungeons and dragons, hallways and rooms and doors and movement and uh, why you're here and what you can do with those spaces and all sorts of things. Yeah, and I think the other thing the basic set does for us by being so simple is it lets us understand that we should sometimes just take the rules as they are, right? Like a lot of people will look at the basic set and go, well, why can't I be a dwarf cleric, yeah. right? Because in the basic set, you're yeah. old, right? So why can't I be a dwarf cleric? Why, why can't I? Well, I mean, you could, right? I mean, why not, right? But when you play the game at face value, you start to understand that things are put in places for a reason, right? There's reasons that they do things so that when you get to other games and there's like some rule that you're just like, that's not realistic. You can still go, well, yeah, but you know what? It was fun when we played BX and dwarves couldn't be clerics. So, you know, why not? You know, and I, and I often say, well, if you want to be a dwarf cleric, why don't, why do you want to be a cleric? right is it because you want the dwarf's powers and the cleric's powers or is it because you want to play a religious dwarf because if you want to play a religious dwarf then you don't need the cleric for that right and you can do that you can get that in your head right and it starts to change how you think about the game and how you think about characters and you can play a character that one of my favorite uh characters ever played in one of my campaigns was in a fifth edition campaign and the the player played a uh a rogue like a like a rogue right but they they put all their points into strength and they were a big hulking guy and they always used a big heavy weapon and if you know fifth edition that is the ultimate terrible build for a rogue like you're supposed to use stealth weapons or whatever light weapons whatever and the funny thing is she her character always had the short sword on her and she'd never used it she always used this big maul where she didn't get all the advantages you get as a rogue and then every once in a while she would have to use the short sword and anyway, it was a husband and wife the husband would always look at her and go why don't you do that all the time and she's like, I don't want to. And the thing is, that's fun, right? Because you're looking at the game and going, I can do anything with this game I want. I want to be a rogue, but I want to be a big uh, bulky guy. And I'm willing to go with what the rules say. I'm not going to say, well, yeah, but I should also get this backstab with the mall because that's what I want. Like, so there's a certain level of like, we're going to play within the rules and it still can be fun. And I think you get that with BX. You get it with every game, really. But I think it's good when the game has restrictions. And I think the game teaches you that. It teaches you this is how it is. And you can change it, but this is basically you know, give it a shot, see how it works for you. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm I would like to get your thoughts on you know helping people um, try this out. Uh, I have a, a a friend right now that I've met. Um, I'm going to tell you about later, but but you know this is something that comes up where they'll say something like, "I want to be Conan the Barbarian." All right, you're a fighter. I want to be Aragorn. You're a fighter. I want to be <laughs> I want to be. Um, you know, uh, Robin Hood. Okay, you're a fighter, <laughs> and and that feels so right. dissatisfying if you're already uh, if you're in the world of Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. Uh, why do you think it is that it feels much better to have all of that on a character sheet? Like why do and uh, and and how do yeah. yeah. Well, I think it does make sense to on a lot of levels, and I, and I will I'll now I'll argue for yeah. the other side if you will. Uh, there is this idea that the there's like this weird I call it a trust thing, which you can do whatever you want. A level, right? Like if you're playing with somebody and you say I want to be Robin Hood, and I go sure, be a fighter. But then when you try to do Robin Hood type things, like sneak around in the woods and you you know you do whatever, and I don't let you do that because I'm like, well, no, fighter doesn't have that ability. Fighter can't move silent. That's a thief thing. You should have been a thief, right? If I don't do that, then 
what I'm doing is I'm now setting you up for the idea that, well, then the game sucks. I want to play a game where I can be Robin Hood. And there should be a class for that. So you can't tell me I can't do it. Whereas in a game with all the rules, you can be like, hey, I'm going to play this exact class, Dungeon Master. And if I want to sneak, I have this ability. And because of that, we get this like, this kind of like, I want to know I can do what I can do, right? Because the rules are there. It's funny, a little preview, because I have a video coming out about this. Uh, the rules are there so the players can understand what they can do, right? So if you look at your game and you go, well, hold on, I want to be Robin Hood. I mean, maybe a fighter's not ideal, probably a thief would be, right? But let's just say that a fighter's what you tell them to play. And then they want to do a Robin Hood thing. You have to be open to that, right? And you can't be afraid as a dungeon master to let people do stuff, right? What I usually do is... This is where backgrounds come in, right? I'm all about saying my character is this. Not a 10-page background that people exaggerate and talk about, but the idea that saying my character, you know, w was raised in the forest and they were a hunter. And I'm going to take a bow as my main weapon and put, you know, my highest score in dexterity because that's what I want. Cool, right? You're going to be a bowman in the, in the forest. So when I say later, oh, you guys are in the forest, you know, starving because you don't have any food, and you say, you know, my character was a hunter their whole life. Can I find something? I'm going to give you a chance to do it, right? Maybe an automatic, because that's what you did. And I think that that's it. You you have to kind of give the players the idea that they can do stuff within reason. And I think this, way, this is where, like, hiding the rules from people is a bad thing. I think letting people know how things work and saying, you can do anything you want, but obviously these classes are there to kind of frame up archetypes. So pick the one that's closest to what you want to do. But as we play, you know, things will change. You'll do things. You'll 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 find things, right? You're going to search for things in the woods. It's not going to just rely on a class, right? It'll rely on maybe one of your ability scores. Maybe it'll rely on what you tell me you're doing. Maybe it'll be something you mentioned before about your character. And it does take time. When I, uh, and I, I say this because people often think when I talk about like my table and everything else that I have these like old school players that have been around forever. And this, my players that I play in person with, well, actually, I just had a new player join who's played old games. None of them played before. Like when I first started playing in 2016, 17, again, 5e, they joined my group. Those players had only played Pathfinder. So they went from Pathfinder to 5e, and now we're playing original Dungeons and Dragons with just three classes, and we're having wow. a great time. And that's because throughout the play, they learned that they can, uh, and again, I'm using the word trust. I don't know if that's maybe it's too strong a word, me that I'm going to be fair, that when they want to do something, I'm gonna make sure that it works for them, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not babying them or cheating for them or whatever, but I'm reasonable, right? You play a character that has this background, you're an elf, you would know elf things, right? You're a dwarf, you would know dwarf things. You're a fighter, you would know fighter things, right? You might be able to get in with the mercenary group or you might know hunters or you might, you know, it's just things that you should allow players to do that aren't in the rules. You gotta read between the lines there. And that's not necessarily in the basic book. That's something you have to just learn over time. And I do think that it does take a lot of finessing. And one of the pieces of advice I often give people when they're coming from an older game is, like, I'm sorry, a newer game, like 5e to an older game, is don't start people at first level, right? Start them at fifth level. Let them be capable. If they're used to playing a capable character, just let them be capable. It's not going to break the game to let them play at fifth level, right? I mean, what, what does that mean, right? Now their fighter is a, a, a kick-butt guy, right? I mean, you 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 do become quite powerful as you level up in old-school games relative to the world, right? So now you are taking on four, five, six orcs at a time, and that now feels right to them. Then once they're used to the system and they see how it works, then say, hey, you want to play first level? See if you can get there yourself kind of thing, challenge it, right? And I think that's cool, because I have had players come in on games, not where I've been the Dungeon Master, where they clearly haven't played too many OSR games, 
and they jump into the game and they almost think it's funny that they just die all the time. And it's like you get this like weird like anti-murder hobo where they're just like constantly yeah, killing like, their characters because you know you're playing a game. Yeah, like, yeah it's like amusing. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, especially and and it can be fun because there are a couple of games where like if you're in Morkborg or you're uh, like uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics and you're in a funnel, that's a huge. There's so many misconceptions about that game, but you know once you cross that funnel line and get level one, that that that's not you're yeah. so powerful. And the, <laughs> That that mentality yes, doesn't apply, 100%. but 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 there's an attitude. There's an attitude of like a, a fatalistic kind of glorification, like die well, you know, and that's fun. But um, but yeah, I mean, I always point out we ran old school essentials for 14 months uh, in a recent mm-hmm. campaign, and no one, no character died until month 13. And when they did, they did it because they were like, now's the time I want to be a hero. So they chose the moment where they were willing to take the risk and then they died. And that was very satisfying. I I haven't seen this. Now, I I will say uh, the example of play in the basic set has like a 40% casualty rate. And it does seem like if you just run the numbers and you have a bunch of kobolds or hobgoblins and you just run toward them and trade licks, it's about a 40% casualty rate. But... You know, presumably you're not doing that. <laughs> presumably you have reaction roles and what distance they're appearing and whether or not they even hear you or surprise. And you've got all these different mechanisms uh, that, that, that it's supposed to go through, you know. But, um, yeah. Right. And if you look at the other example, right, the example where they're exploring, they uh, do avoid uh, oh. combat. Well, they one, one combat they kind of hand wave and they go, they fought uh, and killed goblins or something. And then when they're getting the treasure, they have somebody listening at the door, and they hear somebody coming, and they bolt, they, they, uh, I think they spike it, or maybe they do a whole portal, and then they run through a secret door, right? So it's like they do avoid it in the example of play. It's just the other one is the example uh, of combat. Yeah. <laughs> so you could say, well, they're showing you how deadly combat is. So you know, hey, yeah, good point. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I agree. I think that, that new players. So when I first started uh, with this group, and I've been playing with them a long time with OD and D when you're in chainmail. They weren't ready. Like they weren't ready for it. It was the most harsh like OSR we've ever run, and they did lose characters up front. Uh, you know, they, we lost probably four or five characters in the first handful of sessions. But in last, we've lost one character. So it's like they learned, right? And that is what's good about first level, right? First level is when you learn. You you go in there and you have that fight and you die, and then you're like, oh, that wasn't a good idea. Oh, oh, that sucked. We got a bad roll because that can happen too, and you you plan for it. Right. I, I still remember one of the fights. There was four characters and they got ambushed by uh, it was a room that was an ambush was set up and they went in there and like these 14 pretty low level, uh, like low hit point, low level things came at them. But they were they got encircled and three of the characters went down and all that was up was one guy. And he's like, I'm dead. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And he's like, can I run? And I'm like, of course Fancy you can. Man. run. I mean, you know, you're going to have to roll. Right. And he was just like, I guess I got to run, you know, and he realized that, yeah, this is, uh, I got to run. If, if I got to run, we can't always do this. But then they went back and between sessions, they, they thought, okay, you know what? We know they're all in this room. That's their lair. We could, they could tell it was their lair. They're like, I have a plan. And they made a plan. They went in there. They made a distraction to lure some out. They used missile weapons. Nobody died. They killed all 14 of them, got a ton of treasure. And I think it actually leveled everybody up. They got so much treasure because they really, they raided the lair so successfully. And that was a great learning experience, right? They, they learned. Later, they went to a wrong area, and I did warn them, saying, you're basically going down a level by going here, but they wanted to risk it. And they encountered something that was like, 
four hit die and just wiped two of them out and two of them ran. And then after that, they were careful. And it's just funny because from there we learn, like they're literally learning, okay, this is the game. We need to make sure we're careful. We use this. And, and they do. Sometimes you fall back on things. They use a lot of sleep spells. They run away. They use missile weapons. That's the game, right? If you want to play the game where you run forward with your sword and fight every tough monster, then these games at low level just maybe aren't for you, yeah. right? They're going to be hard for you to do that. That is that is the truth. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes so down to the this is, There's something here that's blowing my mind. Uh, I'd never thought of it this way because I, I, I suppose... Um, what's it, You said that like there's this idea of you can't actually treat the rules like honestly like you can't you can't actually treat them on their own basis you need uh you need to filter them a little bit or you need to tweak them or you need to do this and you're saying no no just do like actually read it and do it um uh there was a a kind of it's funny i don't think i ever did that with fifth edition and 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 i was successful honestly so i ran it for like six years one of the very first things i did is i was like all right, there are a lot of rules here. The first thing I need to do is just not worry about proficiency bonuses. I'll work on that later. <laughs> I, the first thing I'm going to do is not worry about difficult terrain or the various status effects. Like I, I'm going to worry about that later right now. Um, and and it worked and it was fun and, it, and, and the game didn't break. But uh, in this game, I think I had this... Well, anyways... Um, I recently had this idea introduced, like with Traveler, uh, where I, you know, what if you actually ran it from the 1977 book, the three black books, and we're having a blast. And and then I took Swords and Wizardry and I did that. Like, what if you just do it and don't try to add all kinds of like, well, but common sense should say this, and you should do this, and blah 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 blah, all the baggage that where it kind of developed over time. And it, and. It, we're having a blast like we're having such a good idea with this theory that maybe you could just do what the book says um and and anyways i think i was doing this and i think you just helped me realize that uh because there are all sorts of things like that about uh this this book where you'd say well you're a thief and you have like a i don't know what it is a level one 25 chance uh or less 15 chance of hiding in shadows or whatever it is and you're like, well, that's terrible. I, I can't do that, you know. And and you only have a one in six chance, you know. Uh, and a round is going to pass, which is precious. Lost light and time and wandering monsters, of trying to find something or uh, checking a door. And you're like, well, we can't do that. We can't, you know. So it's like, well, we're just not going to use that mechanic, or we're going to soften it. And an idea I've never had before is that the examples of play are also introducing what not to do. <laughs> Like, I've always thought of it like, oh, this is really lethal. Like the one where I think what the dwarf, he, he just dies because uh, he does a save versus death to a poison trap or something. And uh, and, yeah, and, and I read that and I think, oh, well, that's BX. But what if the text is saying, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that had never occurred to me until just just now. Uh yeah, and I do think that you can interpret things certain ways, right? So we get things where, and I, I've actually been thinking about this and talking about this a bit with people, where where did all these like deadly traps come from? Because I've been playing original Dungeons & Dragons, and Gygax basically says in that first book, or no, it's third book, where he talks about traps, he mostly says that traps that will just kill you are boring and not good. Like he says most traps should do other things. 
and it's funny that it goes from that to safe versus poison you know every time you open a door you know it seems like it moved forward so i don't know where that came from and i'm very curious i think maybe it was because a lot of the early modules were old level this is the, this is my theory i am not a historian a lot of the early modules were higher level modules and they probably put stuff in that in that because they had good saving throws, right? So really, that poison needle trap probably wasn't going to kill your high level character. And even if they did get stuck with it, they might have a cure or something. It'd be a slow poison. Uh, but at the same time, it's like your first level, you're going to die, right? You got like we're like an 18 on on a d20. So the, you learn to not open traps that way. I mean, I don't open chests by just yeah. open the handle, right? It's like, and what's funny is when you get people that want to be almost too literal by the rules, and they just don't want you to do that. So it's like, well, there's a chest, and it's like, okay, well, how is it closed? Well, there's a latch on it. Okay, well, I take my spear, and I stand off to the side of the chest, and I slide it between the latch and the uh, the chest, and I flip the latch up. And you can just tell there's like that pause from the DM, because they know that there's supposed to be like a poison needle there or something, but like, how is it going to hit me? I'm not there, right? But that's what the game's designed for you to do, right? You don't just walk up and, you yeah, the thief can check for a trap, and they should check for a trap, why not, right? You, you roll your percentage, you know, what everybody else is doing other things, and then you're like, okay, well, uh, you know, you don't see anything. All right, well, I don't know that there's a trap here. So we're going to treat it like there is, right? As opposed to, I rolled and I think there's no trap. And I think that's 100% perfect and not a metagame at all in my mind. It's like, if you don't, now if you roll and you do find the trap, then you know there's a trap here, right? So you can treat it like there's a trap. And I always go and I go, and again, the game doesn't say this, this is something you learn, you go with what the players do first, right? As they, uh, and, and this is what we learn by playing RPGs, right? Conversation first, right? I think is what uh, Riley uh, said on his podcast. The idea that you have this conversation, if I could explain how to open the chest, why am I getting a poison needle in my finger? I didn't touch that, right? right. It's like, why am I, you know, and, and I think that that's part of the game that we have to bring in to through experience and not through reading. Although you could look at it and go, well, for instance, in the example, they let the, I think it's Morgan, shoot her bow, even though technically the enemy went first. Because they say, well, she had her bow ready, so they let her do it. So it's telling you already that if something makes sense, you just let it happen, right? That's literally in the example. And people will look at that and say, well, that's a mistake, because that's not how it should have worked. But I think that was done intentionally. The idea is that, is that you're looking at this game, here's the rules, and then here's how you run it. And that's why I think examples of play are so important in any game. I say that about any game I get. If I get a game that doesn't have an example of play, then I always think to myself, well, how do I know how the creator intended me to play it? You know, now all I have is numbers, and I don't really have an idea. And granted, I can play any game any way I want, but if I'm buying a game from somebody, you know, I should have an idea of what they're thinking, right? Is the game supposed to be super deadly or, uh, you know, super, uh, you know, heroic? Is, is the game supposed to be... Uh, you know, strictly this way. And I think by watching the example of player reading it, it gives you that idea. Yeah. Okay. So let me take some of the things that we were, were talking about here and kind of condense this um, in a, a recent experience I had of, well, that like we're talking about like helping new people. In, and I'm really passionate about this because I just, I think one of the reasons I have a bugaboo about it is because I ran six, uh, fifth edition for like six years and it never gave me what I wanted. Like, so, uh, and so I will criticize for the edition. I don't mind. Uh, but I mean, it's for some people, like some people like it. Uh, I did not enjoy it. And I, but yeah. I ran it for years because there were things I wanted and I kept trying and trying and trying 
to make certain things work. And one of the things that is nearly entirely excised from that system is exploration. And I found myself continually, and there were oodles of videos out there and people talking about it. Most people would say on the top of wilderness exploration, just don't do it. Like, and I won't mention the personalities, but they would just say, look, just, just don't do it. And, and the Dungeon Master's Guide says that. It says usually, 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide says, usually the Dungeon Master will simply describe what the players have, uh, the characters have done from their last place of adventure to the next encounter. That's what it says. Uh, and then it says, but if you want to do something, here are some tables. And anyways, mm -hmm. uh, I continually found myself trying to put in mechanisms to tr because I wanted Lord of the Rings. I wanted The Hobbit. I wanted... Um, I hadn't read sword and sorcery fiction yet, but I wanted a feeling of adventure and wonder and openness and choice. And I never could get that feeling. Um, and then I, 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 I ran some old school games and played in them. And the, the, the joyous thing I've discovered is now I, it's almost hard to escape that. Like it's hard to, it's a, because of this procedural play that you're describing. Uh, I think for somebody who's never used a procedural play, that's very hard to understand. Uh, it's very hard to understand how I can take old school essentials and it has the end pages. And it's like, you're in a wilderness? All right. Do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. And all you have to do is convey the world in that procedure. And it offers up, you know, the players can just go and explore and it feels like you're in the wilderness. It feels like you don't know what's out there. And uh, what is that tower over there? It, it, it's not quite, but it almost reminds me of like that feeling in a Bethesda video game versus other video games where you feel like, well, what is over there? What is, <laughs> and that wonderlust uh, kind of comes out of it. Um, but uh, okay, so I have, uh, I, I think I'm, I, I, I wanted that for years and I couldn't have it. And then now I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. And it was—it's been here since 1974, and I and 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 I, and I, like yeah. I couldn't find that on the internet for years, and it never popped up. So here I am, and I'm meeting new people, and they're either come. So some are coming into the hobby, some are older, and they're either re they're returning, like they were they played when they were a kid. Uh, some people just ran or played fifth edition, and now they're uh, they're like I'm interested in this older edition. Well. I was playing with someone I met last night. We were playing Swords and Wizardry. And I have the, we have this, uh, this game where we keep two slots open to introduce this classical gameplay style to people. It's like, hey, if you've never played original D&D before, come and try it out. Um, and uh, they love it, right? Like they're, they're having a blast. And they're like, oh my gosh, I want to keep going. And it's terrible because we set these two slots up to rotate people in to try it out. And now they're like, man, I, but I want to keep going. So I was like, I tell you what, you you let me know, and I will I will help you start a game or get in a game. We will make this happen. Like, but the the adventure doesn't have to end. So they're like, okay, well, tell me how to do it. I'm like, okay. So I looked at Swords and Wizardry, which I adore, and um, it's complicated. And I'm like, okay, well, the Swords and Wizardry is complicated. Now I'm talking about somebody that this is the level they're at. They don't know to roll a d20. And I feel, I, I feel like you shouldn't have to have all the systems mastery to experience this. 
right? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Sure. But uh, so then I'm like, okay, well, let me pull something simpler off. And I, I usually start, what I start with is white box. Because I'm like, okay, this is really simple. And I'm like, this is just like charts and numbers. It's like old school essentials, which, as you mentioned, is just like the procedures and charts and numbers. And I was like, okay, where is the simplest version of original D&D? So I found one. I'm not trying to criticize these because as a consumer, as someone who likes this stuff, I love this stuff, you know. Um, and I found one called Micro Light 74. It's like super, supposed to be really simple. And I peel that open. And I'm like, this is really complicated. I'm thinking of it from the point of view of a person who doesn't know to roll a D20 in combat, right? So what do you think they should do? What, you know, uh, what, what do you think we should do to, to get them up and running their first classical adventure fantasy game? Yeah, well, I would I would give them BX. Like, I think the basic book. You knew that you know, like, it, it's funny because, and, and it and again, this is really isn't a slight at any other systems because I agree with you. Soldier Wizardry is like uh, one of my favorite retro clones, and we have to look at why that was made, right? It was made as a reference to basically be able to create content for original Dungeons and Dragons when original Dungeons and Dragons wasn't available, right? Just like Osric was made for AD&D. Like, I don't think Swords of Wizardry was really made to teach you how to play. But the basic set was. In fact, the first basic set with Holmes, which I recently acquired and read, and it's it's not that great learning how to play, but compared to OD&D, it's, you know, it's a little more organized. But uh, basic D&D, they sat down and said, we have this market of non-war gamers that are buying our game. We have a lot of younger people coming into this game we want to teach them how to play because otherwise they're going to pick it up and go, what is this? So they really does walk you through. And I find really well, some people like uh, the, the red box Menster's uh, basic. I think it's fine. Um, I, I find that to me, because I didn't learn on it, maybe I don't think it's quite as the system's the same, but I think his technique of having to choose your own adventure is cool. I think that's good. If you are, if somebody was like, I don't have anybody who's playing D&D with me. I just want to play and learn how to play. Nobody can teach me. I like that style because you're learning how to play by going through the adventure. But I think if you're going to play with a group and you have at least a little idea of what D&D is, I think the basic book is the best. I really do. And I like all those other ones, like uh, the White Box, uh, Fantasy, yeah. Medieval, Cloud, whatever it is. And that's, uh, that is a, a favorite game of one of my friends that we used to play online all the time with. He always ran that. He would hack it left and right. But yeah, for me, it's easy. I pick it up like, oh right. yeah, but if you actually start reading it, you, I, yeah, I don't know. You know, I think that um, another game, although they want to play D&D, &D, they want to get into old school, but another game I think that does a pretty good job in a very simple way is Into the Odd. Yeah. I think Into the Odd is a real game for new people. It's so simple. Uh, first of all, it's even more simple, simplified rules-wise, but also they've got, again, an example of play. They've got very specific how things work, and I think it's a really good game to learn how to play. I'm not, uh, I don't think it's the complexity of a game that makes it good or bad for somebody to learn on. I think it's how it's presented, right? I think if you present basic D&D, &D, which on a lot of levels is, you know, maybe it's some people more complicated because you use different types of dice for different types of things. But then let's say fifth edition, which is effectively roll a D20 high. I still think that it's easier to learn playing BX because you can read those rules and go, yeah, this is how you play. And it's like a $5 PDF. And honestly, if you're teaching somebody, what I would probably do is just, uh, you know, photocopy those or take the the uh, the PDF of the two pages of the example of play and give them that if they've never played before and be like, this is basically the game. Wow, yeah. Because <laughs> I think it does. Yeah. 
because when you read that, you understand, like I do anyways. I mean, I look at it and I go, yeah, that's the indie, right? The Dungeon Master is saying something. The players are responding. Sometimes they're successful, sometimes not. They do get that little hint of it could be deadly, right? Which is good because they want to know that their character might die. In fact, one of my favorite experiences ever, I, I had a, it was like a work retreat. Like I had a creative department I was running. And we took the day off to, as a work retreat, and I decided to run a Dungeons & Dragons game. But I ran uh, a, a, I don't want to give too many spoilers because it's a module, but in this module, there's basically a tower, and I had everybody make two characters. And it took time making them, and the new people who had never played anything got really into it. They're like, my character looks like this. They're drawing pictures of them and everything. And I'm like, oh boy. They get to this tower, and there's lightning striking, and there's like a 1% chance you can get struck by lightning if you walk across this field. It's like really just there to like scare them. And I'm like, all right, everybody roll a percentile. And let me know what you get. And boom, boom, boom. That one player, one. And I just looked at him like, your character is struck by lightning and dies. And she just looked at me with wide eyes. And I was like, that's what you get for walking across a field with this lightning bolt. <laughs> and she was like, God damn it. And then, it, so then she grabbed her other character and played. And then she it, she was so into the game, though. That didn't just did, like throw her off. It didn't Because I also heard that, oh, if you kill somebody's character early on, they won't want to play again. But I think if you set the tone, this is a dangerous place. You made two characters just in case. Like, you have another character. You're not out of the game. Like, you're literally right there. You're the character standing outside the field. And I still made a roll again, of course. She's like, well, they just make it across, right? I'm like, nope, roll again. <laughs> you know, I mean, I knew. What's the answer we're getting? I mean, that would have been, like, amazing. But in the end, uh, she got in, and she loved the game. And she played it, and she got really into it. And I often say that was one of the, a really fun game because four of the six players didn't had never played an RPG before. They'd played maybe a few video games RPGs, but never a, a tabletop. And they were amazing. Like, they would go into a room, and I'd be like, all right, you're in this place. It's like an old library. You know, whatever. They'd be like, all right, I'm going to go up and look at the shelf. Let's pull some books down. We're gonna, like, they would say all the things that you would tell people to do when you're a role player, right? Because they didn't know that they could go, I roll a search check. Right. Right? They didn't know that would be interested in the game. So sometimes, as I, I said earlier, the rules are so the players have a baseline. But at the same time, sometimes being more naive or not knowing the rules can be a great way to play because... You just do, like, when I bring a new player to my table, I usually start them with Swords of Wizardry, which is funny you said that, or BX. And I usually just give them a character. I quickly go, these are your stats, so you're strong, you're dexterous, whatever this would have means. Anything else, we'll explain as we go. And then I just go, what do you want to do? And they're just like, what can I do? You know, you get through that bad moment. And then when you get to things where there's rules, I, I insert them. But it makes them way less likely to want to fall back on the rules. And I think the problem with some of the more complex games is that when you start putting all these effectively rule systems on the character sheet, they want to use them. I mean, why wouldn't you want to, right? You'll look and go, well, hold on, I'm climbing up the side of the building, and I want to... I got this thing that says I can climb a building, so I should use that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you do have that issue, obviously, with the thief. There's always that, like, elephant in the room, the thief does have skills. But at the same time, I think the thief skills are different, and I usually treat my thief skills... And I tell people this, the reason why they're so low is because they're nearly magical in nature. Like when you are hiding in shadows, you're literally hiding in shadows. If you're in a hallway that's torchlit, so there's little pools of shadow, you can hide there. And nobody else can. You can hide right there in that, that hallway. Everybody else that's standing there has to run to the end and go around the corner or something. They can't stand there, right? Because you're a thief, you can hide in shadows. Now, if you fail, they're going to see you standing there against the wall like a fool. You can move silently. That's absolutely you're moving silent. You will surprise them if you move silently. There's none of this like, oh, but they saw you. I mean, obviously, you can't move silent in front of somebody, but if you're going behind them, it's assumed they don't turn around, right? You don't... This comes back to that first trust thing I said. When they use that ability and they do succeed, you got to let them succeed. Yeah. You know, I was playing once with the guy 
a player, a, a player who had played mostly newer games, and they were DMing. They wanted to try DMing uh, BX, and we were playing, and I was a thief. And I climbed walls like 12 times during that adventure because I knew I was good at it. Like, I'd be like, all right. So she'd be like, all right, there's a wall here, and you see these people there, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to climb up to the top of the wall and sneak across the top and then climb down And she to avoid the guards. And she's like, well, what? I'm like, well, there's a wall there, right? I just like, climb walls, 87%. It's like, I'm going to climb the wall. And I kept climbing the walls, and she was like, you keep avoiding everything. I'm like, well, that's what a thief can do, right? I'm a thief. I'm trying to be sneaky. If I try to roll move silent with my 15%, I'm probably going to fail. But there's a place I can climb here. Why wouldn't I climb into the second story window and move across that way? It's like, that's what I'm good at, right? And and you realize that thief's not as bad as they, you think they are when you actually try to use them to effect, yeah. right? And, you know, I, like, I'd sneak across and then I would, like, throw a distraction. The guards would look and the rest of the party would run. And you start to learn, like, these things are tools we can use, but they're not the end all, right? A thief can be sneaky without rolling move silent. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Um You've, I, I think you might have sold me on. Uh, I'll talk to them after this. I'm gonna hand them a PDF of this, uh, this basic set. Um, but uh, uh, and I love chatting about this stuff. Uh, I got a few questions from my co-host. Uh, if if you got a little more time, he wanted me to ask this. He couldn't join yeah, us yeah. today, unfortunately. Um, so he he wanted to know because uh, he loves your videos too. Um, if you if your games uh, and maybe this has evolved because I know you were you know Dungeon Crawl Classics and uh, what you Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers Hyperborea and then you know and uh, now you're doing O D and D but uh, if your games had a trope to them if there was like a, a Bandits Keep game and you're like well this is you, you know you're in a Bandits Keep game because this is going on what, what do you think that trope would be? Okay, it's, it's a very funny because I said earlier, one of the things we talked about was going to be a video. This is also Yay. a video I just made, so it's funny. I was just thinking about this, and the reason why I was thinking about it is because there's that Matt Coville game yeah, coming MCDM, out. Yeah. And they defined it with like these, uh, like these like punchy things, like super high power, whatever it is, like jumping around, whatever the yeah. thing is, right? And I was like, wow, what is my game, right? What is that, right? That's a great question. So if there's one thing that distinguishes almost all my games is that I like my games, I would call them a mixture of kind of weird, ta weird tales and fairy tales like i have a lot of things like talking cats and garden gnomes that have like you know unknown spaces in their hats and you know i use a lot of weird stuff and i love a lot of fancy like uh let's say like a uh, playful things right sometimes they're deadly but i use a lot of playful very fairy taley tropey things so that you know talking trees yeah. and like in almost all my games like animals like birds carry messages and just various things and a tree will be like oh you know uh you know i can tell you this because i'm i'm 500 years old right i'm a tree i've been here forever i know all kinds of stuff but i only know what happens around me right so like if you want uh, you know you can carry one of my seeds over here and i'll you know and, and i do stuff like that it's it, it mixes in with that kind of uh you know typical D, &D fantasy but it, it it's different right i feel like it's different than just your standard you're gonna fight orcs and, and I generally like to mix that in. So you're almost always going to see that in my games. Like something will come up where it's some kind of weird and my players will give me a side eye, you know, where all of a sudden this thing's talking to them. And they'll do that. And I love doing it because then I'll, 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 I'll like start like, because I mess with my players a lot. It's so fun, you know, we're friends. And they'll just start talking to things. And I'll be like, you're talking to the bedpost? And, you know, it'll just be funny because, you know, in a, in a fairy tale world, you might talk to the bedpost. And it's just something that I always have in my games. Just if you're 
think if you think of like a weird fairy tale, but like kind of mixed with like weird tales, so kind of a little darker. That's very common in my games. I think when I'm not running like modules and stuff. Like if you see the stuff that like I'm, I, I love that, and it's true that not every game does that. Uh, I've heard it called whim dark uh, instead of grim dark or whimsy ah. with darkness. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> Um, and and I adore that when you're uh, talking to uh, you know that this is kind of my next question, but like uh, sprites are always that way. Like they're they're giggling, but also they can just kill you or charm you or do terrible magic that yep. is irreversible for your character. And I yeah I adore that. Okay, so like yeah, what is your desert island encounter then? You've got your whim dark suite of things that you can bring out uh is is it the the ancient talking tree or is it the you know fairy creature or what is it you know yeah i i tend to um that's interesting i would say that i i someday hope to run like the perfect dragon encounter which is probably a pretty standard thing but i feel like dragons are tricky because if you run dragons like hardcore there nobody can be a dragon like they're just really powerful or they should be right but at the same time, dragons are clever. So I think a, like a real true raid on a dragon's lair is always my most fun way to play. Like I, I used to run a convention game. I, I say used to because I'm not running it this year, where I have a bunch of first level characters try to kill a dragon. And it's just really fun because they really, they can't, right? I mean, they can and they can't. Uh, and uh, my best example of it, the one that I had the most fun with, was the first time I ever did it. Well, first time I ever did it at a convention. And I ran, this is going back to something you mentioned earlier, and I do have squeezed it in somewhere. I ran DCC, but I ran it as first level, but as a funnel. So I gave every person four first level characters. And you know, if you play DCC, that four first level characters is a much different thing than four. And I made all these challenges. What I did was I rolled up a DCC dragon because they make the best dragons. And they have like all these weird powers and I turned the powers into environmental effects. So like they had like a sandstorm power. So I had the party go through a desert and they cried. And so they were losing characters through like worlds. And, and there was one part of it where I thought was really going to be weird. And I, this is why I loved it. It was, it required everybody to do like lots of rolling and like people were falling off ledges and stuff. And I just told them, I'm like, this will take forever if I do it. I'm going to tell you the mechanic. Everybody be honest, just roll for your own thing. People were dying left and right. And they get, and they get into this whole thing. And now they're first level characters. And here's the thing. These people that joined the game, because they all told me after, they had all played DCC a long time. They joined my game because even though they didn't know me, they didn't have to hurt me. This is before I even had the YouTube channel, I think. Uh, and they were like, because everybody runs either funnels or modules at conventions. And I, all, I, I played them all. So these are people who knew how to wow. play DCC. So they get this dragon and people are spell burning and critting on things and they're turning people into giants. It was the most amazing battle ever. And the players, I mean, it was just amazing. And I and I didn't know D&D as well, uh, I should say DC as well as these players did. And they were just using it. Like they were using the halfling to throw extra luck. And they, like at one point the wizard spellburn to turn, to use enlarge on somebody, turn them into a giant. But then the dragon had a petrifying gaze and petrified the giant. So they had this like huge, like giant character frozen. Like that is D&D, &D, you know, and it's, you know, the idea of D&D &D as a scope. That is D&D &D to me. This like crazy mythic nuts thing. But at the same time, they're low-level characters, so none of them are taking seven hits from the dragon. Like, every time somebody got hit, they were dead. So it was deadly, but they were powerful. Like, that's the encounter that I love to run. And it, it, sometimes you can't run them that often, right? Because they're usually these epic things that can only happen in certain situations or something that's very contrived, like a convention. So you don't get to do it as much as you'd like to. Like, in my campaign, I'd love to do it all the time, but 
you know, they're not going to do it all the time. Because, of course, in the scope of that thing, we had, I think, 24 characters, and I think, like, three survived, <laughs> right? So you wouldn't... <laughs> but they killed a dragon, right? It was amazing. Yeah, the dragon. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, the dragon is another thing. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't actually know from uh, the basic set without looking at it. But the, I, I, Old School Essentials is usually numerically identical. Um, I, I can't actually think of anything yeah. where the numbers or, or things are different. It's almost kind of copy and paste. But yeah. so uh, when I was introduced to the BX dragon through that, I was like, you know, because in I guess here I am beating up on it again. But in fifth edition, um, well, there are like ancient dragons that have layer actions or legendary actions. I think that's a good idea. Right. Uh, but most dragons mm -hmm. in Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition uh, are what I call hit point bags like they're giant like 300 400 hit points and you just wail on them uh if they can't get away or can't fly probably the most powerful thing a dragon can do is lift you up in the air and use d6 per 10 feet on you that that's probably the most powerful ability uh but at bx uh there was this thing where it was like it does its hit points in breath damage and if you can if you can uh, slice it across the throat, you know, and get a good hit in, all of a sudden it's weakened. And I was like, what? <laughs> and it's completely unfair and unbalanced, yeah. and I don't care. I was like, this is so flavorful, and it has so much attitude. And it makes me think of, like, movies, uh, like sword and sorcery movies, where you're trying to fight a dragon, and mm -hmm. you're completely outmatched, and you have to hope that you can get one good hit in or do one clever scheme. And if it fails, you're doomed, you know. And anyways, that that was my experience with the BX Dragon the no, first time I saw that. Yeah, I, I love that. And what's funny is I think I have to go back and look at it, but I'm pretty sure in OD and D, it or maybe it's in Holmes, or one of them, it doesn't say it like that. It just says it's equal to the dragon's hit points, so that it doesn't go down. Which Good I always point. house rule. I, I, I love didn't think about that. that. I love. Yeah, yeah, well, right, because if it's just based on their hit points initially, but in BX it does go down because it says current. Because I've had this discussion with people and we look it up, it does actually say current, which I think is amazing. I love that, and I'm glad you brought that up. That is actually the very first time I ever played first-level characters against a dragon, which I think is my very first actual play on the channel that actually is still up. Uh, it was a first-level BX group against that's a dragon. Awesome. like Because I had watched the movie Dragon Slayer, and dragon I was like, Slayer, ooh, and I they do of, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and they did it. They were able to beat the dragon, and uh, barely. Well, again, one person survived, and uh, it was a thing. I was like, wow, they were able to do it, and that's really cool. Yes, they lost a bunch of characters, and last, yes, you wouldn't want to risk your character in that you spent you know months building up to, when you know you're almost certainly going to die against a dragon, unless it was like a big epic ending and you knew the campaign was ending or something. But like it, that's why dragons are powerful. It's funny, too, you mentioned the 5th edition one, because I think I was talking to KR Kara King from D&D Homebrew, we have another podcast together. Uh, we were talking about 5e dragons, and I was like, yeah, but they'll just blow your, their breath weapon on you and, and, you know, whatever. And we were looking at them, and their speed is super slow. I was like, their flying speed is, like, ridiculous. It's, like, 90. I'm like, that's their flying speed? It's their dragon. I mean, unless you get to the big ones, I guess they get faster. But it's like, with that, they can't do the classic dragon thing, which is fly overhead and just blast you a fire and fly by. Like, that's what a dragon would do, right? I mean, wouldn't a dragon just do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why dragons are... And that's why you have to trap them, right? So in all my to slay a dragon thing, they're always in a lair and you've got to be creative to get to it because if it gets outside, you're dead, right? You get a dragon in the air, like you're not going to beat a dragon in an old school game because they're going to fly up in the air and you can't you can't touch it, right? I mean, it's like most people can't do anything that far right. away because you don't have the spells 
you know, the every round spell that you'd have in like a 5e game. So, yeah, it's interesting. But yes, dragons are probably my uh, my my monster that uh, that I really love running, and I don't run nearly enough. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, I want to keep talking about dragons, but I'm going to stop. <laughs> going. But right. all right. So. Right. I can yeah. make order. <laughs> uh, do you have any projects coming up that you you want to you want to mention? Uh, anything that's uh, that's coming up? There, you mentioned a few videos, which are very exciting. Uh, so I'm looking forward to those. Uh, but uh, anything, yeah. Yeah. Those, yeah. I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, the one video, the two videos are going to air this week. So tonight, actually, and then today as we're recording, and then the next week. Uh, otherwise, I, I'm actually starting. If you watch my actual play channel, if people do that, or if they don't. Um, I have the solo game and I'm kind of shifting up next season, but that won't actually start until like February because I'm so far ahead on that. Otherwise, I'm just kind of uh, doing my thing. I don't know if you know, but I have a, a podcast where I am uh, creating my own system, which is based on Original oh, cool. Dungeons & Dragons and, and Chainmail. Um, and it creates, I think, when you talk about what game, it creates the game that I would like to play, I think, because it is deadly, but the characters are powerful. And it has epic scale. Um, and it's taken me, I mean, I, I had, like, I thought I was done, like, when I first started it. Like, I was like, I finished it in, like, three days. I'm done. And as you play a game, you start to really realize, like, it needs a lot of playtesting. You want to really see things. And, and I've played, I've learned a lot about myself and what I like and why I like things that I like. And uh, so that's really what I'm working on is building basically my own system, which I think everybody should do eventually. I think it's worth doing, even if you don't put it out there for other people to play, just to see... Take the things you love about the game and put them on paper and see if that is a game by itself. You know, it doesn't have to be original or all stuff you made up. It can be from other systems and see if you can build the ultimate version of D&D, &D, right? Your, your Desert Island version yourself. That would be my advice to most people. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. No problem. Anytime. Had a lot of fun. Mythic Mountains RPG is a private online play club that focuses on folk RPGs. Folk RPGs are the games that belong to all of us. They're what actually happens at a table between friends. It's their voice that has the authority on what is fun and what works for them. Weekly, we upload our games to allow others to sit in with us. The channel isn't monetized. We don't own the artwork, music, software, or games shown in these actual plays, and you can find links to their authors in the description. Like, subscribe, and share if you wish, or don't. Just like games in person, you're welcome to pull up a chair, set in, and watch some of our games. No performances, no fancy equipment, just regular people playing folk, pencil and paper role-playing games, and having a good time. We hope these games will prove a source of enjoyment to anyone just wanting to listen in, anyone looking for examples of how actual groups run and play folk RPGs, and most importantly, if you haven't found your group yet, you're welcome here. Thank you.